A very good evening to all of you. Tune in to the Pera Beats podcast. I'm Dilhara Samarsingha and joining me is Shakti Senaratna as your host for the evening. So, welcome to the third episode of the Beats podcast. An innovative audible experience with the inspired effort and dedication of the Pera Beats family. Each week you will hear mind-blowing interviews uh, ranging from theoretical aspects for current social issues, science news, uh, entertainment, sports, success stories, motivational speeches and many more. And the Beats podcast will be a perfect way to deliver your daily dose of inspiration and knowledge wherever the audience might be. So make sure you reach us on Spotify and Anchor FM for an experience you won't forget, no regret. This day, Sri Lanka is facing its biggest economic crisis since independence and the impact of this crisis has affected every sector in the country. So one of the hardest hit area is the power and energy sector. With three-hour electricity interruptions every day and fuel cubes which usually span for more than one kilometer, I think it's fair to say that all Sri Lankans are facing the brunt of the energy crisis. So, the first step in fixing a problem is understanding it. Today, we thought of digging deep into the power and energy crisis and the future of energy security in Sri Lanka. Yes, Dilhara, and today we have a very special guest joining us to talk about all of these issues. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the honor to introduce Professor Lilanta Samaranayaka, Professor in Electrical and Electronic Engineering in University of Peradeniya. Now, if I were to state all of Professor Lilanta's credentials, this podcast would go until the morning. So I'll give you a brief insight into who our guest is. He's an alumnus of University of Peradeniya having earned his B.Sc. in Engineering in the year 2000 and his Doctorate in Electrical Engineering from the Royal Institute of Technology, Sweden in the year 2006. He has been a Research Fellow in the Kyushu Institute of Technology, Japan and also in the Advanced Vehicle Engineering Centre in Cranfield University, United Kingdom. He served in National Service in the National Nanotechnology Initiative of the Government of Sri Lanka as a senior scientist in the Sri Lanka Institute of Nanotechnology, SLINTECH, from 2009 to 2011. He's a quite valuable asset in the University of Peradeniya and Dilhara. I have personally seen his name in the newspapers for many projects he pioneered, and he has also had his name in many index journals. Of course, Shakti. So, welcome to the Parabits podcast. Thank you again, sir, for your participation and let us commence with the round of questions for our audience. So, my first question is, sir, from a normal person's perspective, the crisis is just power cuts and fuel cubes. Is it limited to this or is it much more? Yeah, uh, first of all, uh, thank you for inviting me to this forum. Yeah, coming back to your question, uh, <clears throat> the world we interact works on the principle of uh, cause and effect. The crisis that you and I experience is the effect of many causes. It is much more than power cuts and fuel cubes. I will explain you. If you analyze the history, we can find the root cause or many causes. Uh, <clears throat> to, to take you to the past, uh, we see a drastic rise in domestic manufacturing with the starting of most of the national corporations such as the National Textile Corporation, National Paper Corporation, National Tire Corporation, National Steel Corporation, National Cement Corporation, State Pharmaceutical Corporation and many other industries with the support of the former Soviet Union and China back in 1956 by the government of late Mr. S.W.R.D. Bandarnai. And this is soon after the independence. And this trend continued until 1977 with ups and downs, where 1970 to 1977, uh, former Prime Minister Sirimao Bandarnaika's government 
there were a lot of import restrictions much worse than what we experience today and people wanted to change right so it is the people's mindset which enabled the subsequent government by late president jayarajawardhana to open the economy where it enabled importing most almost anything and sell here right since the restrictions were removed completely for importing even the ones we have been manufactured manufacturing were imported right the justification behind this trend was to create a market competition in order to control the price in a way this is correct according to my understanding our industries were not mature enough to withstand such a competition because though we were using technologies we were not into r&d research and development on producing such technologies we were just using the technologies but we were not producing the technologies therefore most of the aforementioned national corporations were privatized to bring in investments and bringing in the latest technologies but it didn't work as expected and by early 1990s many of the national corporations went bankrupt and today almost none of them exist except state pharmaceutical corporation and state engineering corporation they are also not doing well now if you look at those industries they were producing most of the essential things we need every day starting from 1950s to date right so closing down them means we have to import all that using foreign exchange right so this is what happened and when the domestic industries collapsed the workforce went abroad seeking employment which is natural and some of them brought in dollars but some of them migrated forever with their knowledge experience and skills without transferring them to the next generation right so this created a knowledge gap our tertiary education on the other hand was not strong enough to fill that gap and then started the collapse of the skill set so firstly it is the industries then the skilled people the limited skill set was used in the export processing zone so i mean what we have in katunayaka bigam etc which bring in foreign exchange but almost no technology development of research and development right the r&d there comes from outside and the export processing zones provide only the labor that is the reality the other unskilled workers started going to middle east as housemates currently they bring the highest foreign exchange to the country but if skilled labor was exported the income could have been higher now this was realized later uh, in the uh, i mean after the war but uh, it was too late right because other countries have captured that opportunity the people who returned from overseas employments brought in a lot of imported items to the day to day life and it changed their uh, local lifestyle completely now if you compare what happened i mean our lifetime today uh, sorry our uh, a lifestyle today with that of uh, let's say 1970s or 1980s it's completely different so this started happening in the early 1980s the rest of the people started following it and by the year 2000 i would say if you look around you find everything around you at home are imported and today it's even worse but we never thought of the sustainability of this trend the government budget deficit kept increasing there are other reasons also for this and every government borrowed money to bridge the gap gradually the investment capacity went down because we have to spend on commodities it went 
down to the level that we are unable to improve or maintain the basic infrastructure, meaning the roads, transport, etc. As a result, everyone who could afford to have a private transport means went on to a private vehicle. Currently, we have nearly 4.5 million two-wheelers, that is motorcycles, and 1.8 million three-wheelers. I took this example to show you that people risk their lives to go comfortably other than using public transport. When the usage is not enough, the income drops because people people don't use the facility. And the capacity of such services to invest further to bring new buses or improve their qualities, etc., also drops. And in the end, the public transport sector also collapses, right? So due to the large penetration of new vehicles into the fleet, the fuel consumption increased exponentially. And currently we are the highest in the region. That is 350 liters per person per annum, whereas in India it is 141 per, per one, uh, 141 liters per person per annum, right? And if you take Pakistan, Bangladesh, Iran, and many other places, uh, Afghanistan, many other places, it is in the uh, range of 100 to 150. If you just uh, look at the fuel consumption by three wheelers, if they consume just one liter per day, you need 272 pounds of petrol per day, right? And you can calculate the amount of dollars to import all that. But at the same time, look at how and who is going to earn these dollars. So that is the question. Are there three wheelers contributing to GDP? Yes, there is, but it is very small amount. So this is another important thing to consider. Since we do not manufacture any of those vehicles, not only bicycles or three-wheelers, but even the bigger ones, but either we import completely or import parts and add a few components here and assemble, a significant portion of foreign exchange is spent on these. And since, since the import of vehicles has been stopped since 2020, this doesn't happen now, but we have to see the sustainability of the transport sector. I mean, just by stopping, it's not going to help. And due to lack of investment capacity, all our infrastructure development work started depending on loans from places like the World Bank, Asian Development Bank, etc. And since they come with strict terms and conditions, some governments, when the recent governments, went into places with flexible terms and conditions, individual countries, I mean. So as a result, China and India, who are competing to become the next most powerful nation in the world, entered to Sri Lanka being a strategically important location in terms of international trade and defense, right? Now, we are in the hands of China and India in addition to the World Bank and ADB, right? Remember, India and China are two different, two separate countries, whereas World Bank is a worldwide organization and so does the ADB. So you can see this when you analyze the recommendations by the International Monetary Fund, IMF, to Sri Lanka on debt restructuring. Yesterday, IMF warns the government of Sri Lanka to talk with China on the $6.5 billion dues, uh, uh, restructuring the $6.5 billion dues without the IMF intervention. Right? So that is the stand of IMF as of yesterday. So if China doesn't agree, then we will be in deep trouble. Right? So what I want to state is now the crisis has got extremely complicated with a lot of interdependent factors. And therefore, you need a very carefully thought vision and mission to get out of it. So that's my view on, uh, on, the, on the question you placed.
Thank you for that wonderful explanation, sir. Most of the people in Sri Lanka are now tired of effect of this energy crisis to a point where it's creating social unrest. Sir, are there any short-term steps that can be taken at the police level or the community level to ease the impact on the on the people? Um, yeah. <clears throat> if you uh, <coughs> let me answer this question. Um, the short-term measures at policy level and short-term measures at community level separate. If I concentrate on the policy level, I mean, I would say convert all or at least the majority of the two-wheelers and three-wheelers into electric and facilitate the identified sectors to carry on such conversions. This is of utmost importance. I, I gave you the numbers earlier. You can work them out and see the savings in terms of dollars. And then uh, the another policy level uh, change, I would say, invest heavily on public transport to offer convenient, efficient and punctual public transport service by means of buses and trains. Now, this is nothing new to us. Recently, Greece did it because they had to cut down the oil imports by 50%. So they asked the public to go for public transport and they invested whatever the money in the public transport and managed it with 50% less imports of fuel. So this is doable. And the other point is uh, investigate the possibility of... Uh, now, this is my personal idea of uh, using boats in rivers and boats in the sea around the country, taking into account the fact that we are in an island and instead of uh, traveling over ground from one end to the other end of the country, it can be more efficient you, uh, to use the sea. So this is my idea, but somebody has to work that out and see. And, and also it has happened in the history. If you look Mahavansa, you have the evidence. And <clears throat> The, another one is uh, send as many electricity customers as possible to off-grid by removing barriers in importing uh, battery energy storage, solar panels and inverters. Now, sending off-grid means uh, uh, you are not no more connected, you, mo you are no more taking energy from the grid. The grid is kept as a backup. You generate your energy uh, by means of solar and use them during the daytime that is when it is available. Anything extra is stored in your battery and used in the night when the solar is not available. So that's the idea of off-grid. So what I am suggesting is send as many electricity customers as possible to off-grid. But in doing so, the barrier is now with this fuel crisis, the prices have doubled or tripled. Uh, since the government has no any, I mean, doesn't have any regulation on the prices, uh, this has happened. So government has to intervene and control the prices so that people can afford to buy them. And also, I recommend to promote local manufacturing of batteries and inverters because people have been investigating for decades over decades on batteries, but we cannot see uh, a single lithium-ion battery produced. Uh, using local technologies. When it comes to inverters, I know there are a lot of uh, uh, people who are capable of uh, producing those. So we should uh, remove any sort of barriers uh, at the poli government policy level because they need uh, components. Uh, I mean, bringing components in bulk doesn't cost uh, a lot. If you bring the inverter alone, it costs a lot. But if you bring in components and assemble them here, then the cost comes down. And removes barriers uh, to expand the production of bicycles and motor-assisted bicycles. Now, now, even nowadays, you can see many people try with bicycles and we have local manufacturers and they do have problems. So we, the, the government should address to those problems so that uh, they can expand their production and cater the demand. And also recently you may have seen advertisements floating here and there 
on motor assisted bicycles it's like a 250 watt uh, motor which is a hub motor sitting in the middle of the wheel and giving assistance to pedaling so that sort of things have to be uh, promoted uh, as much as possible and also like in other countries we have to ensure safety of cycle riders on the road by giving them dedicated tracks so at least reserve a place where uh, they can ride safely and i mean these are all doable things only thing you need you need action and also facilitate workers who come to work by cycling or walking at workplaces uh, and also when it comes to the investment in the power sector you need to eradicate non transparency uh, at any cost when it comes to private sector investments in power plants because to my knowledge lot of investors have left the country because they don't like to go through this non transparent means of dealing with the power plant implementations getting approvals and etc and also you need to improve the responsiveness of the government organizations as well as the relevant officers uh, in the relevant ministries regulators and also the utility which is the electricity board right so these are the things that i have to suggest uh, at policy level so i turn into the community level now the most important thing when i look at uh, the immediate past is uh, the following that is professionals should stop advocating the government unless they are qualified and competent to do so i am telling this because we all experience the repercussions of uh, medical professionals trying to pass opinions on agriculture non engineers trying to take policy decisions on energy etc right i have i can give thousands of examples but these are the immediate ones uh, i mean thanks to them we are facing many of the difficulties now and then enter the energy saving mindset at all times now this is a mind changing thing these things have happened in the past these things have happened in other countries this is not we are not the only people who are facing this kind of crisis so we have to enter into this mindset turn off unused electricity avoid using air conditioners not only in buildings but also in your vehicles try to use the staircases avoid using lifts as much as possible and uh, go off grid if you can afford to do so as i mentioned earlier government should take a policy decision to regulate the prices then uh, reduce the consumption of fuel as much as possible or at least revert to conventional fuel than trying to depend on imported sources such as the liquid petroleum gas or lp gas because if you look back 20 years back we did not have any of these uh, liquid lp lp gas queues uh, we didn't even have cylinders but still be cooked in our kitchen so i mean at least during this difficult time we will have to revert to such things and uh, <coughs> change the mode of transport to energy efficient methods like cycling and walking etc now this is good for your health as well and if you still use a car or a motor bicycle think of giving a ride to the people around you don't just be selfish other people are they are on the road not because they cannot afford sometimes uh, because of the fuel problem so and also <clears throat> one other important thing is pre plan your travel so that you save energy right other than i mean i have seen people uh, going once to buy one thing and come back and then go again to buy another thing and so on so don't do that so plan it well plan it at the beginning of the day and then uh, execute so that uh, fuel is saved so likewise we have to get adapted to the situation thank you that was a very elaborative answer and thank you for that sir something that you emphasized on was the need to go electric especially when it comes to transport one of the problems sri lanka faces currently is that our ceylon electricity board can't meet the electricity demand of the country hence we have power cuts now you already told us the need to focus on solar energy moving forward what are the energy sources that sri lanka should focus 
on to generate electricity other than solar energy when we are making a sustainable energy plan now uh, <clears throat> i think uh, in answering this we have to be practical as otherwise our solutions will not have an impact on the current crisis situation uh, the immediate solution will be to start the unit 4 of lakwijay coal power plant in norichole adding 300 megawatts of power uh, where the majority of the infrastructure is already there but uh, whose work was suspended due to change of government policy and also to negotiate with the japanese government and restart the 500 megawatt sample coal power plant which was suspended by a court order to stop public unrest i am suggesting this them first because uh, all studies such as feasibility studies environmental impact studies grid stability impact studies techno-economic impact analysis and the like have been finished in these projects so they were about to start but due to small small reasons they were not started for example if i take bangladesh uh, when sampur was about to start in 2016 Bangladesh also had the same funding from JICA and Bangladesh went on our, our plant was suspended by the by the court now but look at where Sri Lanka and look at where Bangladesh is Bangladesh is uh, having reserves over 40 billion US dollars as of last month so uh, <coughs> uh, so the energy energy security is essential for the development and coming back to your question there are short term options like mana wind power phase 2 now you may remember you may have seen in the news uh, wind power phase 1 which is uh, tambur pavani got uh, connected to the grid 100 megawatts and likewise the phase 2 is is uh, work is going on so you have to expedite that process and simbalando there is a 100 megawatt solar park which is uh, in still in documents but you have to accelerate that process and get it connected and recently there was a big uh, the voice on the lng but we have to expedite the lng projects in kerala ptr and get them on the grid as soon as possible and also there are fresh renewable energy proposals with the battery energy storage who come to invest but didn't work out because of the lack of transparency from the government side so we have to eradicate such non non transparencies and invite such investors because they came with not just renewable energy but renewable energy with storage this is the this is the uh, technology that we want not just the solar power, solar panels and inverters that alone is not going to work later uh, if i get a chance i will explain further uh, uh, so the the i mean they they did not remain here they they went back so that which is uh, which is uh, utter loss and uh, technically speaking nuclear energy is also coming under renewable energy therefore it makes sense to go for nuclear power because unlike few decades ago where the generation capacity of a typical nuclear nuclear power plant was 3 gigawatts which is higher than the total demand in sri lanka we have small modular reactors in the range of 300 megawatts like uh, one unit of uh, lakwij or even less where if one plans properly you can add more units later when the demand grows so i don't think we should be afraid of going to nuclear because first the technology is matured and second our neighbor india has placed its uh, nuclear power plants both in the east coast as well as the west coast and if there is a nuclear accident we are already vulnerable to the repercussions of such an accident therefore we are not escape there are uh, conventional ways of handling nuclear waste and the typical reactor lifetime is 60 years so it it makes sense that uh, we go for uh, i mean we 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 try those options in addition to the uh, other renewable sources but as i mentioned uh, <coughs> uh uh these things take time right typically power plant takes at least 5 years to come from the date of planning to the uh, date of uh, connecting to the grid 
Now, having said all above, the government should not follow the opinions of individuals, including myself. Uh, the Ceylon Electricity Board, being the being the monopoly holder of the Sri Lankan electricity electricity sector, has produced the 2022-2041 long-term generation expansion plan. In fact, this is not just a plan, but this is the least cost long-term generation expansion plan. They do it biannually. For example, uh, 2018-2037, they made one plan. Then, uh, 2020-2039, uh, they made another plan. Now it's 2022-2041. Recently, in the month of June, they released this plan, right? Now every 20 years, uh, I mean, they, they, I mean, they, they produce this plan for the next 20 years, right? And this plan is available to the public. If you go to the CEB website, this is available, and even the previous versions are available. This spells out the most economical energy blend. What are the sources that you sh we should be exploiting? At what cost? And with a time plan for the implementation. All that is documented and the Public Utilities Commission has to approve this plan without any delay because in the past what, what I have seen is this has got delayed in like two years time or four years time. So as a result, this long-term generation expansion plan has not been implemented since 2014. I mean, to tell you the truth, since Lakwijay power plant connected back in 2014, no large firm power plant has been added to the grid up until 2022 today, other than solar power plants, which are uh, which comes with intermittency, right? The coal or LNG or those things are not intermittent. Therefore, uh, they do not need any storage. That this is the difference, and therefore. The PUCSL or the Public Utilities Commission of Sri Lanka has to approve it without any delay and government should provide funds from the treasury or by means of loans and start implementing with, uh, it with the immediate effect. So this spells out uh, the exact energy blend, what to use, what not to use. And I think the government should follow the uh, long-term generation expansion plan. Thank you. Thank you so much for your valuable answer, sir. In case if you just joined, do not forget to reach us on Spotify and NKFM to have a wonderful experience. My next question is, in the last few years, there has been a trend towards getting up domestic solar panels and integrating them into a national grid. So we have heard contradictory opinions on the viability of this at a national level. Could you tell us your opinion on this? Yeah, I think you are referring to the Surya Balasangra under which uh, you have the net metering, net plus and net account schemes uh, which were introduced. Yeah, I know that there is a whole debate on that. Uh, the, the, the real reason is, as I mentioned earlier, now the long-term generation expansion plan was not implemented for a long time. Therefore, uh, large firm power plants were not added for quite some time now if you look back the uh, <coughs> look back the uh, annual report of uh, the Ceylon electricity board produced in 2020 uh, the consumer the number of consumers from 2011 uh, has been 4.7 million and in 2020 it has uh, become 6.6 .6 million. 
So during the time where uh, there was no power plant addition, that is from 2014 to 2020, there has been a rise in the demand by 22.5%, right? So corresponding to that rise in the demand, no power plant has been added. I'm referring to firm power plants, not the not the renewable plants uh, with the high uh, variability or intermittency, right? Uh, so <clears throat> if you look at how the other countries are doing, for example, I have uh, information released by World Energy Outlook 2016, which is uh, International Energy Agency publication, which gives present and project power generation mix, right? In 2014, I will just read out the numbers so that you can get an idea. If you take the world giant USA, 27% LNG, 40% coal, 19% nuclear, 13% renewable. If you take China, 2% LNG, 73% coal, 2% nuclear, 23% renewable. European Union, 14% LNG, 27% coal, 28% nuclear, 29% renewable. And if you turn into places like India, uh, by 2014, 5% LNG, 75% coal, and uh, 3% nuclear and 15% renewable. And if you uh, take a country like, uh, I mean, in the region, say Malaysia, Malaysia in 2013, 50% LNG, 38% coal, and 8% renewable. And now these are fast uh, countries with fast growing economies. So does the Vietnam and Thailand, right? So in all these countries, now this is the situation in 2014. And, and this particular document has given their projections in 2040. 2040, that is 18 years from now, right? Now in 18 years from now, 2040, USA going to have LNG 34%, coal 25%, nuclear 16% and renewable 24%. So over 26 years, they are increasing the renewable energy share from 13% to 24% and reducing coal from 40 to 25. China, increasing renewables from 23% to 26%, coal 73% to 58% reduction, right? they do these reductions gradually. Now, if you take India, for example, they are reducing coal only from 75% to 65%, which is our neighboring country, and the renewables, they uh, increase from 15% to 20%. India is a country who produce PV panels, PV plants, but still they increase by 5%. So you can see that uh, <clears throat> Our energy blend uh, has been, uh, <clears throat> I would say, hijacked. That is, firm power additions have not happened. And to cover that up, this renewable energy integration was brought in. But the problem is the grid was not strong enough to absorb all that. Now, this is the debate that people are having. Uh, in various sectors. CEB is telling one thing, Public Utilities Commission is telling one thing, the government is uh, telling another thing, and the, and the investors say another thing, and so on, right? So this is this debate. Now, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> now the the real issue, if if I if I tell you the real issue, uh, the the renewable energy without storage, 
that is the solar without storage storage in the sense you produce the energy now if you take the uh, energy production of a solar power plant uh, the day starts at 0 0 and ends at uh, 2359 right so during that time if you analyze uh, the production in a solar power plant it starts producing very small amount somewhere in 630 a until that time no power is produced and keep on increasing and it will reach the peak around 11 am and it will reach there or even increase further uh, let's say by 12 noon and then uh, started declining slowly and by 4 pm it's it's coming to stand still and i mean by 6 pm there's nothing right so this is how the pattern goes so obviously if you go for solar 100% solar for example you can see that in the night you don't have energy and also in the early morning you don't have energy so obviously you have to save something out of what you produce during the day time to store in the for the use of the night now the problem is in the schemes that were brought in there was no storage 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 was the grid right so what it is supposed to do was to uh, generate from solar absorb it in the by the grid during daytime or use it locally by the generate the people who are generating it and uh, that's it so what they expected was to reduce the amount of uh, generation by other power plant in the grid during the daytime so that you can save save some fuel it will happen if you get a smooth curve but in reality when you get a cloud the generation drops it doesn't stay constant the generation drops so therefore the reliability is gone now this level of unreliable source is not preferable at all for manufacturing for the industry so they don't like it so what they have i mean what you have to have is something which can uh, give an uninterrupted energy service so <clears throat> in order to absorb such intermittent renewables we should have a very large firm generation capacity in the network than we do have now and there are no shortcuts in this process if you want to add the intermittent renewable energy you first have to add the base load from the firm power such as thermal from nuclear coal or lng which i listed earlier but adding renewable energy before such firm power puts uh, the system stability at great risk this has happened in the recent past all other countries having been Uh, doing this and uh, countries like USA Russia as i mentioned earlier China India and most of the countries in Europe Australia have been running on nuclear coal and lng power for over 5 decades and still they take nearly 50% of them and under such circumstances they only add the renewable energy to their existing system whereas we try to add renewable energy while not doing any of the past essential firm power additions uh now there is one argument by pro renewable energy uh, that they are cheap uh yes they are cheap if you do not attend the intermittency and forget about the life then they are cheap remember that power electronics in the renewable energies however good they are from which manufacturer you are going to get they have only 10 years lifetime just to compare the lifetime of a hydropower plant which is 100 years so it is a it is a 10 year to 100 year difference and you work out the difference in the absolute return of investment right so and the other thing is the moment you add the storage to the renewable energy as per the current prices it is in the same order as the crude oil so there's no difference 
and if you leave out the uh, the the um, batteries and go for pump storage pump storage requires a substantial capital investment for the infrastructure and if battery storage is used in addition to the capital investment you have to replace them every 10 years as per today's technology and you have to look after the recycling right so there is no other battery chemistry other than lead acid which can be recycled successfully and lead acid is not efficient and therefore not cannot be used in the grid applications so you can see that the reality of renewable energy is not as re- rosy as it has been stated educated or promoted right and the other thing is the claim for introducing this unrealistic target like 70% renewable energy uh, is the greenhouse gas emissions as at 2090 sri lanka has been emi- emitting only 100th of carbon dioxide metric tons uh, that of our neighboring india right so in my view trying to achieve unrealistic goals instead of arguing at them at the right international forums and consolidating our stand has also driven us to this difficult time right so that's uh, the answer that i have to uh, give about this uh, renewable energy right thank you sir so before we move on to the next question a small reminder to our listeners the beats podcast is the best place for you to be informed about recent and timely topics that affect all of our lives so make sure to tune into us via spotify and anchor fm now let's go back to sir sir i was actually going to ask you about the 70% goal but since you already addressed that i will change my question now there's a discussion going on that With the current foreign exchange crisis, there's a need for Sri Lanka to reduce its dependence on imported sources of energy. As you emphasized, we need firm energy to stabilize the grid and add renewable energy on top of that. According to you, what kind of target can be set for Sri Lanka when it comes to renewable energy? It depends. Actually, uh, it depends what we, what we are going to do with the firm power. because uh, <clears throat> if you look at the uh, recent uh, edition of the 2022 to 2041 long term generation expansion plan after this 70% uh, policy decision by the government they revised the long term generation expansion plan and uh, they are trying to absorb uh, renewable energy <coughs> uh, if i If I am not mistaken, uh, by 2030 they can they can absorb 700 megawatts of uh, renewable energy uh, without harming the uh, without harming the grid, but with minor changes like transformers, lines, etc. But beyond that point, you need major changes in the grid by means of adding firm power. So <clears throat> uh, uh, once you finished adding this 700 megawatts. Uh, Uh, we have to go for massive changes even the 700 limit is uh, calculated one so when it comes to the practical implementation it may be little lower than that so that's the target we can expect excellent and thank you for this information sir and now we are moving to a special question so sir another news that has been making the headline for a few years now is the presence of oil and natural gases in the in the sea bed near mana so why have we not make us make use of these resources till now ah uh, yeah <clears throat> it's a, again a good question uh, even though i am not the most competent person to answer this one i will try my level best now sri lanka's uh, petroleum resources uh, development secretariat that is prds has uh, identified several blocks for offshore oil exploration in the mana basin and uh, kauri basin and also the lanka basin so based on the initial data and uh, regional studies the prds is estimating the mana basin alone could have the potential to generate uh, 5 billion barrels of oil and 9 trillion 
cubic feet of natural gas, which would be sufficient for Sri Lanka's energy needs for the next 60 years. So this is what the report says. But uh, <coughs> the first exploration license in the Mena Basin was issued uh, to an Indian company uh, in, in back in 2008. The test wells have uh, produced natural gas, so it exists. But the company decided to exit oil and gas exploration activities in Sri Lanka in 2015 due to low crude oil and natural gas prices. So they have projected that this is not going to be uh, economical. Uh, <clears throat> and thereafter, the government has uh, entered into agreements uh, with other places. Uh, for example, in 2019 with the French oil and gas company, uh, Total ENP, with, uh, with the inclusion of Norwegian oil and gas uh, company Equina ASA. Uh, likewise, many places are investigating, but so far uh, uh, there's no uh, long-term uh, implementation plan for this. Uh, it is, prov it is uh, proven by seismic surveys that uh, it exists. But the extent, uh, these numbers which are appearing, I'm not sure uh, because they have, uh, uh, now these are feasibility reports. So uh, the, the, the accuracy, maybe somebody, some other third party will have to assure the accuracy of these numbers. So that is the, the situation as of now. Quite clear explanation, sir. This next question is something I'm sure our listeners are a bit confused about. India, the regional giant in South Asia, has been integrating its power grid with its neighbours for a few years now. A proposal has emerged to integrate Sri Lanka's power grid with India. My question to you, sir, is how would this affect our energy security and is this a good step for Sri Lanka? Um. Yeah. <clears throat> now, uh, first of all, let me uh, let me talk a little bit about this technology. Now, uh, exporting or importing power from and to to another country is a new idea. It's not a new idea. Uh, this uh, started with uh, the link between Sweden and Gotland. Uh, I think in 1980s. Uh, where they use a high voltage DC link uh, to transmit power. The idea here is uh, you can uh, use power electronics and transmission lines to send uh, power as DC. You, usually in the grid you get AC, but this transmission happens as AC. Uh, this transmission happens as DC over long distances. And uh, the advantage was uh, the two sides can have different frequencies. For example, one country be 50 hertz, other one can be 60 hertz and so on. And uh, even now you have this setup uh, in many places in the Europe uh, and some places in the United States. So it is not a new idea. Uh, however, they do it for energy trading. Uh, energy trading in the sense now everybody is after uh, energy produced as uh, or energy sold at a lower lower price right so in order to do this trading they are using these uh, lines and connections uh, whereas situation here is slightly different because ours has a shortage of generation and therefore we are trying to import power from India. Now this line will be used solely for importing. Uh, I mean if you look at the scenario from the surface it's like another Indian credit line getting uh, power from India and we are paying. So one thing is we need to see how we are going to pay and we need to see at what price. And most importantly, 
when you go to this kind of model especially in a country like sri lanka with the history that i have just mentioned with regard to what happened to the our manufacturing industry we i mean as a country we will stop developing our power system we will get used to this importing culture in the power as well there is that is the biggest risk other than any other risk that i foresee in this approach right now for example now our economy is going down and near bankrupt and uh, if somebody advocates okay uh, you stop uh, producing power plants and instead taking india for the next 20 years so in the next 20 years we are not going to get any power plant and in 20 20 years down the line there will be a huge gap which cannot be bridged so we will continue to import right so those things will have to be studied carefully and then uh, enter into this what i suggest is uh, this is my personal view we should uh, we should uh, if we are to go for this we should only go for this for emergency purposes not long term purposes because uh we should we can go for long term uh, purposes only if we have excess capacity where we can trade energy if we can't trade we should not enter into long term uh, agreements with india thank you again for your valuable insights sir Uh, just a kind reminder to our listeners do not forget to reach us on spotify and anchor fm to get updated about the current topics so moving on there was a recent amendment to the electricity act which created an uproar in social media saying that it's degraded our energy security so could you please explain to us what is the amendment actually did yeah uh <clears throat> actually uh, if i tell you the sequence of events um, now this uh, electricity act of sri lanka uh, uh, <clears throat> there was a i mean uh, i mean this act, act is called the sri lanka electricity act number 20 of 2009 and it got amended earlier by act number 31 in 2013 right so uh, <clears throat> uh i think january last year a presidential commission was appointed to uh, look into the uh, look into amend this act saying that this is not investor friend and uh, uh it was chaired by the not the current chairman but the immediate past chairman of the silon electricity board who was not the chairman of cb at that time he was heading it and he made he proposed some changes as a mem- as the committee of the presidential commission and came up with this amended act and uh, the minister at that time was not uh, Uh, prepared to present it to the parliament because he thought that uh, the changes will be detrimental to the industry and he appointed another committee at the ministry level to look into that where i was also a member and uh, in the end uh, however the presidential commission changes went into the parliament right so this is what happened now if you look at the overall without going into the details because discussing an act in this kind of a forum will be a very tedious task for the listeners so in the interest of listeners what i will tell is uh, several points were changed especially uh, getting the generation licenses generation licenses were limited to three categories in the in the original version of the act as existed from 2013 and 29 sorry 2009 and 2013 and uh, it was changed to uh, I, will, i will read out uh, the statement which was there in the original uh, one any person may participate in a bidding process for the generation of electricity provided that 
uh, where such person is a company incorporated under the company's act of uh, 2007 such person shall be required to confirm to the requirement specified blah 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 now what it says is in the end uh, it, it uh, restricted if you are producing 25 megawatts or above ceb could get it government uh, body could get apply for the license or uh, a company formed under the companies act of 2007 uh, where 51% of the shares are held with the government so only these three were allowed to apply for generation license now this was changed to any person may participate in a bidding process for the generation of electricity the capacity limit etc were removed i think this is why it is quoted as uh, uh, threatening to the energy security this is number 1 right why because now when you say any person that doesn't specify whether it is a company or an individual or anything so that means even an indi- uni if you have the money to bring in a power plant which is more than i mean any any capacity it doesn't matter and later in the uh, uh clause uh, 43 if i remember yes clause 43 there was the transition the transition was uh, now in the earlier uh, earlier uh, act the original version uh, even though other people could not enter into genera- uh, re- requesting the generation license for about 25 they were allowed up to 10 megawatts and <clears throat> in order for them to qualify from going from 10 megawatt limit to 25 megawatt limit again the conditions which i mentioned either it is ceb or a government body or a company with 51% shareholding to the government condition was there that was also in i think these two are the main reasons why uh, it is uh, said in the public that energy uh, generation is our energy sector is at risk because of the changes in the act uh, i mean i don't uh, argue very much with that because uh, if you look at the sequence of events it is uh, it is not incorrect to come to that judgment because uh, the person who chaired the committee uh, in the presidential commission uh, who suggested these proposals later became the chairman of the ceb and during that time is the uh, uh, lng agreement with new fortress came into the picture and soon after that that person left so so one can argue but i don't know the reality of it and it is not good to discuss them in the general public but the reason i i will just i just uh, i just uh, lined up the uh, sequence of events i don't know whether it is whether there has been a hidden plan or not i don't know but these are the things which happened quite clear sir now then the last question and this is the question i was waiting to raise since the beginning of today's discussion yesterday I had to wait more than 30 hours to get petrol. And today, during the first half of this discussion, I did not have electricity. And now during the latter part of this discussion, Dilhara doesn't have electricity. Even though we don't have fuel and electricity, we can't hold or stop our lives. So sir, as normal citizens, what can we do to survive this crisis? yeah <clears throat> i would like to give a philosophical answer rather than giving you an exact answer because i also don't have a proper answer to that but what i have learned over the past working in different domains is you have to i mean we all have to 
try to live as simple as possible with the bare minimum needs and be as close as possible to the nature and try to grow our spiritual and human values that's all we can do i mean all what we have to think is uh, if you look back 50 years we did not have any electricity or bare minimum in the whole country uh, so not 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 50 let's say 100 years we didn't have any but uh, now we i mean 99% of the country is uh, electrified and now we are crying because we don't have it mom you have used to got used to it and we cannot live without that um so i mean uh, there's no hard and fast answer uh we have to wait and see right waiting and seeing and hoping for the best can be on our uh, only option at this point yeah i think uh, if you go with the uh opinion that i gave at the community level that will uh, ease the crisis a little bit at least from the community standpoint so yeah yeah apart from that i don't have a hard and fast answer because the problem is so complicated so according to sir i guess all of us as normal common citizens of sri lanka can do our very small part to together survive this crisis thank you sir again for sparing your time out of your busy and hectic schedule to enlighten us on a problem that affects every single minute of our lives these days it's a pleasure thank you it was quite a fruitful discussion and we at parabeats dearly wish you the best in your future endeavors as well We do hope that you'll extend your help towards our future podcast as well. Certainly, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining in with Parabeats podcast with Professor Lilanta Samarnayaka and stay tuned for our further podcasts as well. Wishing you a very very good evening. This is Shakti Senaratna and Dilhara Samuel Singh signing out with one final thought by Martin Luther King Jr. that only when it's dark enough can you see the stars <laughs>